Title of our lesson this morning is One Night for All. We're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, 12 through 21, which uh, John read for us this morning. Um, as by way of introduction, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6, which we were studying in chapter 6 this morning in class, Paul kind of gives an explanation of his life and of his actions. And reason for that is because he has been falsely accused by some. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15, which we'll read uh, in just a moment, Paul really gives his answer to those charges. Three points we want to take a look at this morning. One died for all. The story is really our story. And then God's new world. And we'll explain that as we go along. Kind of as a way of introduction this morning as we... I want to make sure this is running. It is. As we jump into this this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, which we looked at and which we read, Paul talks about some of the trials that he's gone through, some of the persecutions that he's had to endure, the beatings and the imprisonment and all of those kinds of things. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as you back up just a little bit, a little bit he talks about the fact that the love of Christ compels us and that if one died... For all, then all therefore died. Now, what we want to keep in mind as we take a look at this section of scripture from Second Corinthians, first century Christianity is new, and so now you're seeing people that are doing things in a different way, maybe than what they previously did, and maybe they believe things differently than what they previous believed, and some people might be asking. Why do you believe that? And what are you doing? Why are you doing the things that you do? And so there's this message. There's this story that is being circulated about this one Jesus. Who is the Jewish Messiah. And that the Romans had put him to death. But now some are saying he's alive. And there are people who are following after his teachings. And they're being called Christians. And so there's certain things they believe. And there's certain things that they do. A certain way in which they live their life. And there's this Paul that has brought this message to Corinth. And he is circulating this and making disciples. But then the problem is there's somebody else that's coming along and saying... He's not really an apostle. The things that he's teaching, that's not exactly right. And so there's this confusion. There's this sort of conflict. Who's right? Who's wrong? What's the correct message? And so forth. And so that's kind of the setting there for what's going on in 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 6, as we take a look at this this morning. What are they doing? And why are they doing it? That's the question that needs to be, or questions that need to be set. Now I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations before we get right into this section of Scripture, though. These two illustrations come from two different books, actually. One of them is by Richard Bach, and the title of the book is, I think I've mentioned this before as a way of illustration. I read it while I was in college. This was the kind of books that I liked to read in college because they weren't very long. (laughs) 
Jonathan Livingston Seagull. It's a story about a seagull. This seagull sees himself differently. He sees others differently. He sees the world differently. So kind of the moral of the story is when people see things differently, then that leads them to act differently. Now the second one is this. This is Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables, if I pronounce that correctly. This is a story about a man by the name of Jean Valjean. Early on in his life, he gets caught stealing a loaf of bread. <laughs> he ends up in prison for 19 years over stealing a loaf of bread. But in the course of this, he becomes hardened. <laughs> and he becomes tough. And his will becomes like iron. He lives by his fists. But then eventually, he's released. And now he realizes he really doesn't have any place to go. So he's wandering the streets of the village until finally there is a bishop who sees him, takes pity on him, and invites him into his home where he and his sister live together. Lo and behold, that night though, after they've gone to bed and they are asleep, Jean Valjean rummages through the house and he discovers the silver and he takes it and he flees. The next morning, there's a knock on the door and there are pol three policemen standing there with Jean Valjean and they say to the bishop, we caught this man. And then the bishop answers in a way that the policemen didn't really expect that Jean Valjean didn't expect. What he said was, oh, there you are. I was wondering what happened to you. And he goes, I have the candlesticks. You forgot to take them with you. They're worth a lot of money. Did you forget that I gave them to you? And the policemen are shocked. Jean Valjean is shocked. And so they leave. Because he tells them he's not really a thief. Because they wanted to put him back in prison. He goes, I gave him those things. So after they leave, he says to Jean Valjean, you can have that. You can sell that. But never forget this day. And I want you to use this to help you become an honest man. And so from that day forward, he is compelled to live differently. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. And he died, <clears throat> he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So here it is, in the middle of this controversy that's going on, Paul pins these words. But you know what else? 
This is not the first time that Paul has said these words to these people at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, in about verse 3, he said, I delivered to you of first importance. The first thing I told you. <laughs> that Christ died for our sins. That he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul's saying, when I first came to the city of Corinth, this is the message that I brought to you. That Christ died for our sins. And so wherever Paul went, that was the message that he always carried. That was the summary of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. So, from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, all the way up through 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is writing this defense of himself and of the message that he's delivered. And now right here, smack dab in the middle of it all, he pins these words. Christ died. One died for all. So you know what that's like? It's kind of like this. Have you ever heard the old phrase, boy, I feel like the deck is really getting stacked against me. Ever heard that? Well, that's kind of the way it was for Paul. I got all these people saying all these things about me. They're saying all these things about the message. There's some at Corinth that are listening to them, believing them. There's a real danger here. The deck is getting stacked against me and I'm going to put down the trump card. Christ died. One died for all. Accusations. Charges. Opinions given. How are you going to answer all that? The deck is being stacked. Well, I'll tell you what Paul's going to do. He's going to slap down the trump card. One died for all. Let me read verse 15 through 19. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You know what Paul just did? He just summarized the gospel message in those few verses. There have some that have said, verse 19, 
That is, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He reconciled the world to himself. How did he do that? One died for all. Some say those words are some of the most powerful in all the New Testament. They ring when we read them. Some have suggested that whenever we come together, I'm not saying just here, but talking about various churches, that whenever we gather on Sunday morning, before we do anything, we ought to just read those words. One died for all. Verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. One died for all. Have you as a Christian or ever you ever asked anybody or have you heard somebody being asked this as a Christian? What do you believe? Have you ever had that? What does your church teach? I remember one of the first times I ever had that. It's like I thought my head was going to explode. Like, how do I answer this? <laughs> you know, Paul just answered it. One died for all. What, what do you believe? One died for all. What's your church teach? One died for all. Summarized in those words. There it is. In a nutshell, that's the gospel. That's what I believe. Where I attend, that's what we believe. That's what we teach. Now let me say this about that. This statement that Paul makes is a simplification of the gospel message. It's a simplification. But is it simple? No. Because you know what's contained in those words? One died for all. That makes him my Lord. That makes him my Savior. That makes him my King. That's the one we celebrated. That's the covenant that he brought. But that's the core, basic, condensed answer. One died for all. Any problem you have, any question you have, any issue you have, any opinion you have, it is all connected to, tied to, anchored by that statement. So Paul says, you want to bring charges? You want to doubt my message? You want to doubt me? You want to have all kinds of opinions and issues about what we ought to be doing as a church and how we ought to worship? 
Let me get right down to the core where it all starts. One die throw. Now, let's talk about it. Whatever it is that you want to talk about. Whatever question, whatever issue, whatever opinion. This is where we start. One died wrong. So there's a debate going on. There's lots of darts. There's lots of shots being fired in Paul's direction. I like war movies. You ever watch? And you see soldiers go off to war and sometimes they're carrying a knife. And we're kind of like, mm, it's okay to have a knife, but <laughs> you're going to a gunfight. <laughs> and, and sometimes they got a gun, a pistol. <laughs> you might need something a little bigger than that. And so they got a rifle. And then they got a machine gun. And then they roll out the 50 cal. It's like, okay, now, now we're getting the big guns. Paul just rolled out the 50 cal. You got all these shots, all these darts, you're throwing in my direction. Let me bring out the big gun. One died for all. That's where it starts. Your questions over Paul saying who I am, what I believe, why I live the way I do, that's the answer right there. So I want to back up to verse 11 and 12. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. See what I'm saying? God sees and I also trust are well known in your consciences. It's like we talked about in class. Paul was there. He lived among them. They saw him. The way he lived. The things he taught. The way he conducted himself. Verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you. In other words, you and I, we've already been all through this. But give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. What Paul just said? I'm not commending myself again to you. We've already, we've already established. We know our relationship. But I know there's these others out there that are trying to pull you away. So what I'm trying to do is to give you an answer so that you can fight this battle. What do you believe? What do you teach? Why do you do the things you do? Because one died for all. That's the answer. That's what I believe. That's why I do what I do. And so, when those people come and they're bringing charges, this is the answer I want you to give them. This is where it all starts. This is the way Paul answered. 
This is what motivated him. This is why he lived the way he lived. He wasn't trying to impress us. He's not trying to impress you. He said, we are made manifest before God. God knows us. And I hope that we're manifesting your conscience. That you can see what I believe. Why I do the things I do. So there were some that were wanting to teach about Moses. There were some that were trying to draw attention to themselves. Hey, look at me. Paul says, no, we're not, we're not into all that. They said, I trust we are well known in your consciences. See, Paul, he sees this group. He sees this church. And he knows that if they can't answer those charges, it, you know what could happen? <laughs> A little leaven leavens the entire lot, right? It could pull them all away. So he said, I'm giving you an answer so that you will be able to answer. That's what he's doing. Now it's interesting. If a church is uninformed, if a church is uneducated, it's easy to be led astray. Why do we come together and study? <laughs> so that we can be educated. So that we can be informed. Because Satan would just love to lead us away. So it's interesting the word that he uses there in verse 12 for answer. It's actually a military term. And it has to do with supplies which I'll give you what came to mind in just a moment. Because we've witnessed this. We got a chance to witness this on TV. Okay? So the word answer there is a military term that has to do with like supplies. If you're going off to battle, you're going to need some supplies. Hey, you might need a gun. You might need a machine gun. You might need a 50 cal. You might need... Oh, and by the way, you might need some food. Okay, so here's the illustration. Watch this on TV. Do you remember a little while back? This has been going on for a period of time. So Russia decides to invade Ukraine, right? And we have these satellites now, right? So we can watch everything that's going on. You remember that? Do you remember that convoy of trucks and all this military stuff? And they're moving into Ukraine. And then they stop. It's like, what are they doing? Well, we better keep watching. So we keep watching. And they're sitting there. And then people start to investigate. What's wrong? They're out of gas. <laughs> They're out of fuel. And the soldiers are complaining, <laughs> we don't have enough to eat. They need an answer. They need supplies so they can fight the battle. 
Paul says, I'm giving you the supplies. That's that word answers. I'm giving you the supplies that you need to fight this battle. It's interesting, isn't it? So as you think about the church at Corinth, did they fight any battles? I think sometimes they fought just to be fighting. Did they fight over division? Who's greatest and all this kind of thing? Yeah, they and who and who should we follow? Yeah, they, they fought that battle, didn't they? And did they fight over discipline? Yeah, yeah. Fought over that one. They fought over going to court. They fought over marriage. They fought over eating meats. They fought over giving. They fought over head covering. They fought over the Lord's Supper. They fought over spiritual gifts. They fought over the resurrection. Just about everything you could think of, they had issues with. So how does Paul supply, give the answer to all those issues? One died for all. There is not an issue that they have that one died for all does not answer. It answers every one of them. Now I'm going to ask you. Some of us have been members of the church for quite some time. Have you seen any issues among brethren out there? You know, what's some of the kind of obvious ones you've heard talked about over the years? Well, attendance is one of them. You know, <laughs> got to get people here. That's, that's, an, that's an issue. That's heard about that forever. Giving. Ever heard that talked about? Anybody ever want to offer their opinions about things? How about the Lord's Supper? I'm going to give you an illustration in a minute, just using that one. So in all these areas, they've been talked about. And men come up with answers. Believe it or not. We're having a little... I'm not saying this particularly. Okay. We're having a little issue with the contribution. How are we going to fix it? Well, tell them. You got to give 10%. That'll fix it. One died for all. What does his covenant say about that? Is that the answer? Why don't we go back to one died for all? And we'll work it from there. How about attendance? I like this one. People haven't been coming like they're supposed to. Should they be here? Yeah. You know what we'll tell them? The elders said so. You know what the problem with that is? 
we don't have elders. <laughs> so how in the world are we going to get them here? Yeah. Let's go back to one died for all. So here's the one that I wanted to share with you. See, so over the years, my preaching experience has been going to various small congregations around and so forth. But you see a lot. You learn a lot <laughs> out there. So one of the deals with the Lord's Supper was some congregations decide, you know what, hey, to focus the way we should, let's start off right away. Let's have the Lord's Supper. Okay. It's a good idea. Problem was some of the folks thought that that is the main reason why we come and everything else is just kind of like window dressing. So if I come to take the Lord's Supper, I'm good. <laughs> and they leave. I have stood in the pulpit and watched people exit. Hey! <laughs> I took the Lord's Supper. See ya. <laughs> and they're gone. So brethren want to fix it. So you know what they decided to do? We will put it at the end. So that way they have to stay the whole time. And then we have it at the end. They got to be here. That'll fix it. You know, some of my brethren are pretty smart. You know They have a wristwatch. You know what time we start worship? You know what we do? Do we have a pattern here? Yeah. Do you know you can time it and you can figure out when we're going to take the Lord's Supper? And I have watched brethren walk through the door just in time for the Lord's Supper. Did they fix it? No, you didn't fix nothing. Did you? The men come up with all kinds of ideas how to fix issues. Paul gives the model right here. One died for all. Why should you give? Why should you attend? Why should we do anything? One died for all. There's not an issue. There's not a question that he hasn't given the answer to supply for. That story, one died for all, is really our story. Verses 13 through 15. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What Paul is saying is, if we are beside ourselves, if some people think we're crazy, then they need to understand why I do the things I do. And if we are of sound mind, it's for you, Paul said. If you come to understand, hey, he's not so crazy. I know he's going through some tough things. And when I look at that, I think, are you crazy? 
But then I come to understand why he does the things he does. When people see different, they act different. When people come face to face with love and grace and forgiveness, it compels them. Paul wanted them to know that's who he was. That's why he did. That's why he says it controls us. It compels us. And he talks about it in the Roman letter. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul uses that word repeatedly. For. Christ died for us. So that we might live for Him. Jesus was selfless. And He died for all. Therefore all died to themselves. So they could live for him. You know what Paul's trying to get him to see? You need direction. This is your true north. One died for all. That's your true north. Verse 16 and 17. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, Paul's saying, now I see things differently. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. There might have been a time when we saw a Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh, but that's not just the way we see him now. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Some translations render that. It's a new world. If you change a person, you change their world, don't you? You change them. So Paul's therefore shows One died for all. And that story made a difference in his life and in their life. As we talked about in class, as some looked at Jesus, they thought he was crazy. Then they come to realize who he is. And so Paul says, if any man is in Christ, He is a new creation. Lord sees you. Saves you. You see Him. It changes you. Changes your whole world. Things you once thought were priorities. Things you once thought were important. They're not as important anymore. The way you once saw people 
You don't see them that way anymore. You know how those policemen saw Jean Valjean? You're just a common thief. You just need to go back to prison. That's not the way the bishop saw it. Here's a person that's struggling in life. He needs a hand. He needs to be shown grace, mercy, love. And it changed him. So what we have to keep in mind is this. You know, I haven't done a very good job. (laughs) So we're headed to the third point. So how was the second point, okay? (laughs) So we're headed to the third point. 18 through 21. Now all things are of God. Where did this all originate from? This seeing people differently, seeing self different, others different, the whole world different. Where did that all come from? Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's Paul saying? This is God's ministry. (laughs) This all came from him. He was reconciling the world to himself. And now we share that message with you. And sometimes what can happen is ministries, so to speak, they can lose their direction. I was talking to a preacher a number of years ago that knew a fellow that had gone overseas. And they got really involved with just helping the people that were there in that locale. And then he asked him, he said, well, how's the preaching of the gospel going? And the fellow said, you know what, we're so busy, we don't hardly have time to preach. (laughs) What? That's the whole reason you went over there. That happens with churches, does it not? I can recall over the years sitting down with families that had come to visit, trying to encourage them, and they would ask, what kind of programs you got going? Well, we have Bible class (laughs) for all ages. (laughs) And we have worship. (laughs) No, no, no. And then they got specific. What kind of sports programs you got going? Well, we don't have any of those. I can tell right there the conversation was over. You're not really a social group, are you? <laughs> well, yeah, we socialize when we come together. Yeah. So sometimes, see, you need the answer. You need supply so you can fight this battle. And Paul, in the midst of all this and all these charges, his answer is one, 
died for all. That was his message. That was who he was. That was his motivation. One died for all. It's what calls you and I back to life spiritually. One died for all. It's what calls a church to life. One died for all. Is that message of reconciliation. That's how we judge individuals. That's how we judge one another. That's how we judge the world. Based upon one died for all. Therefore, all died. That's the priority. That's the answer. That's what Paul's saying in the midst of that conflict that's going on there in Corinth. Well, I extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He is the one who died for all. And that's his message that he wants carried to everyone. If we could help you in any way, making your relationship right with the Lord this morning, let us know while together we stand, while we sing.